0: Well, good morning, everybody. We continue this week with our lectionary preaching, and this week I'll be preaching out of Galatians chapter one, verses eleven through twenty-four. I'll read that verse in those that, that passage in the middle of my sermon. Let's pray together. Wonderful and loving God, bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, that all would be pleasing to you, you who are our rock, you who save us. Amen. God always knows who you are and whose you are, but sometimes we can forget those two things. I want to begin with a story. This is about a friend I met in the seminary and his now wife, and I'm changing some details and names uh, for their sake, but we'll call him Brian as my friend, and then his now wife Cindy. Well, Brian's a pastor now, Cindy is not, but they met while he was in seminary. And uh, Cindy's a wonderful person. At the same time, she's very tempted by, if we go to the next slide here, peer pressure. And that's okay. There we go. Uh, We're using slides today. I'm very excited. Um, So the story goes that she's very tempted by drinking a lot and spending a lot of money. Her friends are a bit more on a different financial level than her and Brian, and uh, also, when she's around her friends, she, she uses a uh, different language set, if you catch my drift, and uh, she just, she, Brian has noted to me that it's like she becomes a different person around these friends. They, they pulled out a totally different side of her than he ever saw when he was dating her. Well, recent, relatively recently, um... Her friends called her up, and even though the family had stuff going on, she dropped everything with the family and went off for like three days to go drink and party with her girlfriends, and left Brian and the kids in the lurch, and he really felt kind of abandoned by her for those three days. You know, some of us may relate to Cindy, but I think in a certain way all of us can. Have you ever felt that tension between a uh, uh, wanting to run with the Joneses in some area of your life and also being a Christian, trying to live out the values that are connected with being Jesus' follower. I know I have in my own life. And maybe Cindy's example is a bit beyond your own experience. But all of us, either now in the past or in the future, we, we hit this moment of tension when it's hard to stand and say, I am a Christian, and to say no to the peer pressure of others. We find in our passage today from Galatians 1... That the Galatian people, the Gentiles that Paul came to, thank you for the map, and there's Galatia right there, they're in the Gentile world, and Jerusalem is there in the bottom right corner. Uh, The Galatians, they're struggling with peer pressure of their own thousands of years ago. In their case, as Paul notes for us in his writings, the Galatians are wrestling with peer pressure to go back to their pagan ways. And when I mean pagan, I mean worshipping the Greek and Roman gods And then following the sinful practices that were often associated with those um, gods. And so when Paul comes along, he converts the Galatians away from their pagan worship. But then after Paul leaves, another group comes in with a different agenda. And don't think of these people as in any kind of bad sense. These are also Christians, but they see Christianity from a different perspective. And they're called the Judaizers. So unlike the Gentiles, unlike the Galatians who started as Gentiles and then were converted to Christianity by Paul, and then after becoming Christians started to encounter Judaism and its different practices, the Judaizers are Jews who started as Jews and then became Christians later. So those Judaizers, they were for many years and still as Christians following the law, following the code of Moses. And in the case of the Galatians in particular, circumcision, practicing circumcision. And believing that physical circumcision is important. Well, they come along after Paul leaves, and this happens in other churches as well, not just to the Galatians. And they say to the Galatians, hey, you know, great, you know, you had this guy Paul come by and he taught you to have that faith in Jesus was what you needed to be saved. Well, you know, he didn't tell you that you also need to be practicing the law and all of its tenets, and in particular circumcision. Paul told you circumcision was just metaphorical, no you need to physically be circumcised. This puts the community in an uproar. Now they have the temptations to fall back to paganism And they have another group that that still is is very good-hearted. These are honest people trying to live out the Christian faith in their own respective way. But they're putting a whole new way, a spin on the Christian faith that they've never encountered. And the Galatians, they're caught in the midst of it. And they're, they're uncertain who to listen to. They're uncertain of their identity as a Christian. And they don't know what to make of it. So Paul is writing then in this letter to a community that is in turmoil. And the letter would be the fastest way that he could communicate with them because he can't exactly just uh, shoot over there in the ancient world. So then with all of that in mind, we come to our passage, and we find here that Paul is trying to defend his apostleship. that That his gospel has come directly from God. It wasn't just given to him by another human being, but like the other apostles... His message came from God, from Jesus Christ more specifically in Revelation. And this, in defending his apostleship, this sets up the rest of the letter for him to, to impart very important lessons to the Galatians and help them understand that faith, not works, is what they need in order to be saved. So with that in mind, I begin at verse 11 in chapter 1. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was proclaimed by me is not of human origin, for I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You have heard, no doubt, of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my people of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors." But when God, who had set me apart before I was born, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles, I did not confer with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were already apostles before me, but I went away at once into Arabia, and afterwards I returned to Damascus." The passage goes on in verses 18 through 24 to explain that Paul, in three years later, went to Jerusalem to meet with Simon Peter and other apostles. And then there's a quotation from a church in Judea that is surprised that Paul, this man who was once persecuting and killing Christians, is now proclaiming Jesus Christ. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Amen. What's powerful in this passage is that Paul is saying, hey, I'm a Jew. I I am a Jew among Jews. I grew up a Jew. I understand the importance of the law. And given my background, I'm telling you, the Spirit of God is at work among people who are not practicing every iota of the law. So he's trying to connect people with his background, that he knows what it means to follow the law, And then he's saying, and this message that I'm proclaiming to you came directly from God. It is a revelation from God. Because of that, what I'm writing to you is authoritative. So that's what he's trying to do in this letter. And then we come to the key verse that I want to focus on with all of you today, and that's verse 15. And in that verse, Paul makes two very important statements. The first is that he was set apart by God before he was born, before he was born. And the second is that he was called by God to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So let's first think about what it means to be set apart. We as Protestants, an important belief we hold, and especially as United Methodists, is that the Holy Spirit is given to all people. Everyone is God's child. Now, not everyone chooses to live into that identity as a Christian, right? We all have free will. Some people say no to that and go their own separate way in life. But everyone has that opportunity. We as United Methodists do not believe, as some other Christians may, and there's a debate here throughout church history, that only certain people are set aside. We believe everyone is set apart to be God's child, but it's their choice to follow it. Paul is telling us, That before he was even born, God foresaw what Paul was going to be. Paul didn't always know that, right? On that road to Damascus, his eyes were opened. And all of a sudden, his whole world changed. The people he was killing, now he is working with them to share the gospel. And we can go to the next slide. Excellent, thank you. Baptism is an important ritual we use in the church to help us remember that we are god's children and to live into that identity that we to be jesus's follower an identity that we are called to place before all other identities in galatians 3 verses 27 through 29 paul explains to the galatians that in christ there is no slave or free person no jew or greek all are one in christ jesus all are recipients of the promise that was given originally to Abraham and Abraham's offspring. These titles of Jew or Greek, slave or free are not identities we use in our modern times as primary identifiers of how we see ourselves. We could put that into more modern identities and say, I see myself as a hard worker. I see myself as a mother or a father. These are very important ways that we identify ourselves and not wrong at all, right? But this is the challenge of the gospel. That above even those very good and laudable identities, we are to place our identity as a Christian. That's a tough calling, but it's one that we're always challenged to live into. Baptism is this beautiful, ages-old ritual of the church that we are given to help us remember that we are first a Christian before all other identities. I love the imagery of a full immersion baptism. I, I, I love our baptismal font. I have absolutely no issue in spring, doing sprinkling baptisms. I just think that there's a really rich theological concept when someone is fully submerged in baptism. And think about it this way, that when a person goes down into the waters in a baptismal pool, that's akin to them dying to Christ, going beneath the waves. And then as they raise, it's like being raised with Christ from the tomb. And all of a sudden, they put to death the old self and a new self is given birth. And in this new self, that person then primarily sees her or himself as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, and begins to structure her or his life's values and practices around that new identity. Now, for many of us as Methodists, United Methodists, we were baptized as infants. I was. And during the infant baptism, that's when our parents take that promise that they will be faithful in raising us in the Christian faith until we come to a time Namely, confirmation, usually when we're 13 or so, or 12, when we can profess the faith for ourselves. But for others, people are baptized as adults, or they've undergone confirmation. However you professed, you may have professed the faith uh, as an adult, it's at that moment that then you're saying to God, Yes, God, you have set me apart before I was even born, and now I'm stepping into that identity of my own free will. Praise you. For the new life that you offer me and this new identity. Then we also have this calling that Paul is called to share the gospel with the Gentiles. Friends, an important belief as Protestants in general, not just United Methodists, is what's called the priesthood of all believers. And that says that every single person, lay or clergy, has some type of calling by God to glorify God in serving the church or serving others. Usually that involves either in an indirect or direct sense, some sense in which you're helping the church to continue on and support its ministries, and or to help make disciples, help people grow in their discipleship, or to help new people come into the faith. There's many different ways that a calling can be lived out, but it's usually connected to the church and God in, in some type of direct or indirect sense. And a calling as a concept, that can be a weighty and a tough one to consider, right? I mean, think about it. You have a calling from God. There's a certain gravity that can come with that. And it even can lead to a bit of paralysis for all of us to say, wow, where do I even begin in determining what my calling is? Well, there's a great book that our church is studying this summer called how to Be Here by Rob Bell. And in a nutshell, this book explores in very practical terms how each of us, God foresees new and amazing possibilities for all of our lives. But there's certain practices we can use to explore those possibilities and to begin living into them. And I want to talk with you about one of those such practices. And it's, there's Rob Bell there. Let's go to the next one. Thank you so much. And it's called Ikigai. It's a Japanese concept of reason for being, and it's similar to a raison d'etre. But uh, I love the way ikigai is unique, and in the Japanese, it has a a connotation of what, what excites you when you wake up in the morning. So have you ever had that? Is there something like you wake up in the morning and something that really makes your heart beat faster? Something that gives you energy, that you yearn to do, a passion deep in your soul. Maybe one that at one time in your life you didn't even know existed, but you came across that passion in later years. That is your ikigai. Bell gives us some helpful questions as we're trying to feel out what that is. One is, uh, what brings you that tremendous sense of joy in life? Another is, what makes you angry? What in the, like? When do you find yourself saying, I cannot believe that that is happening. Someone needs to do something about that. Usually, that could be God saying that someone is you. That you may have, that may be your icky guy to step out. That might be an issue of social justice or mercy ministry. You see an area of brokenness in our community. Or maybe something in the church that you see could be improved. And you feel God calling you to step up and use your gifts in some type of way to improve that. Another question is, When do you feel like you're making a difference? That's a very personal question. Uh, One person might feel like when they do something, they're not making a difference, or another person really does feel like they are making a difference. So you have to feel that out. When do you feel like you're meaningfully contributing to the church, respective to your gifts and graces, and also to others, blessing them, helping them be more faithful in their walks? I think these are great questions all of us can chew on, long after today's service. Bell is also careful to stress a few other points about an Ikigai. One is that it's often, although it can be, but often for many people it's not connected with a profession. Some people very intentionally don't want to connect their Ikigai with a profession because the paycheck may take away the joy from the thing. So he says if you're debating about uh, whether you want to have your Ikigai be connected with a paycheck make sure that you're careful that that paycheck doesn't take all of the joy out of it for you. He also stresses that uh, an ikigai is something that we feel out over time. Usually it's not just a a road to Damascus moment, right? Where it's just, aha, the, the light from heaven has come down and I now understand my reason for being. Usually it's something that we feel out over time. So if we can go to the next slide. Bell uses this great analogy of, can you drive a parked car? Of course not, right? It's ridiculous. But we do that sometimes to ourselves. We say, I am just too intimidated by this whole calling thing. I wish that I had a calling, but I don't really want to do anything to figure out what that is. I'm just too intimidated by it. So the car can't go anywhere and reach any destinations if it stays there, right? The same thing is true with us discerning our callings. We have to be willing to step out in faith and explore some things and take some risks, push our boundaries, and sometimes even fail in the midst of doing that. God can work through those big and small moments over time to help us step into our ikigai, our calling, what wakes us up in the morning. So I want to share just a couple stories, uh, very short ones. One is, uh, I have permission from Danny Copeland to share this. I was speaking with him after the 9.30 service, and I said, Danny, what's, what's your ikigai? And as many of you may already know, uh, some of you see him. Danny is a doctor. He practices family medicine. And he says, well, being a doctor is one. He, In his case, he has connected it with a paycheck. And he, he really loves what he does as a doctor. It lets him help people and live out his faith in that setting. He also feels like, he says, but Scott, my real icky guy is my family. He says, I just, he, you could see it in his eyes. He says, I just, I have such a calling to be with them and support them it's so close to my heart, and it is connected with my faith. So that's my, that's my paraphrase of our conversation. And I wonder if that's the case for many of you, that an ikigai is not always go to Japan and share the gospel, okay? Sometimes that could be the case. But it could be to be an amazing mother, an amazing father, a great uncle. That may be God saying, you can be this amazing person of faithfulness and integrity in your family. I've been doing a lot of reading into multi-generational ministry, connecting different generations together. And one of the most important concepts that I've come across is that the, uh, the children look to their parents and their grandparents more than anyone else to begin to understand what it means to live out the faith. That yes, the church absolutely needs to be doing Sunday school, and we need to be forming our kids through many different ministries, and those do form them. At the same time, more than anything else, living out your faith in your family will have a la- more lasting impact on your children statistically than anything else. So that may be your icky guy to be a faithful Christian in your family. Another brief story is at 9:30 we had our disciple Bible study two class graduate. This is a 32-week course that's happened over the last academic year, and our class this time each disciple Bible study level studies something different. They studied. Genesis, Exodus, Luke, and Acts, with a particular focus on the theme of looking for opportunities to live out their faith in all of life's circumstances. And what a great tie-in to our sermon, right? Of them, it's a process in this theme of always looking and letting Scripture and the relationships they built in that class speak to them, inform them and form them in how to be more intentional about looking for how they can live out their faith in the big and small moments of life around them. What's exciting about Disciple Bible Study is that it equips people, helps them find their gifts through that equipping process over the course of that 32-week course, and then usually those persons step out into new leadership roles in the church they never could have imagined. I am excited to see where the eight people who just graduated from Disciple Bible Study, how God will use this course to help them better understand their gifting and then use that to glorify God, serve the church, and help others grow in their faith. And our last slide, please. Friends, I firmly believe all of us are set apart by God. Not all of us live into that, but all of us are set apart, even before we are born, to be God's children. Furthermore, everyone has a calling. God foresees that calling on each of your lives. God can see the person that God is calling you to be. It's your choice to live into that, and the Holy Spirit will help you with that if you open your heart to it. But each one of you has a particular calling of some kind on your life. I don't know what that is, but God does. And the more that you step out in faith and take those risks and push your boundaries, the more that you can discern that. This morning, you may feel like you have not yet felt being set apart by God. And there's a beautiful prayer that I want to offer you and encourage you to pray now and in the future. God, help me know that I am your beloved child. Maybe you do have that sense in yourself of being God's child, that you very much understand yourself to be a Christian. That is your primary sense of identity. But you're trying to feel out that whole calling thing, your icky guy. Then I recommend you pray this prayer from our capital campaign. Lord, what would you do through me? That's an exciting prayer, a prayer that can open up new possibilities in your heart that you may not have even begun to imagine. Friends, let us celebrate together the power of the Holy Spirit that is God working in us and through us and around us to call us into a new level of faithfulness, to use all of our gifts to bless God, bless the church, and bless others. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.